everybody. Welcome back to Scale with Predictable Success. It's Les McEwen here, founder and CEO of Predictable Success. And uh, today I'm absolutely delighted to be with uh, Jason Mitchell, who's uh, not just been a client over some years, but has become a really good friend. He's part of our mastermind group here at Predictable Success. Jason, you're very welcome. Well, I am, uh, it's, it's a privilege, Les, to be joining you and uh, to be a part of this. Thanks for making your time available. Jason, just for uh, our listeners, tell them a little bit about your own background, yeah. about your organization, which is a wonderful church, LCBC. Tell us a little bit about it and your role there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, uh, I'm a part of a church called LCBC Church, and it's, it's, a, it's an acronym. And so not a lot of churches are named acronyms, but the acronym stands for Lives Changed by Christ. That's LCBC. And... Um, and I always tell people it's kind of the weirdest name you could possibly think of for a church because most churches are, are nouns. You know, it's a place that you go to. So-and-so community church. Ours ha happens to be an adjective. It's describing a group of people. And yet, I actually love that because I think it's a perfect description of who we are. We're just, um, we're a bunch of people in process. Um, none of us have it figured out, but we're discovering um, what it means to, to have a richer life in, in Christ. And so, um, so lives changed by Christ. We are, um, we have 15 uh, 15 different locations across the state of Pennsylvania. Um, we've got um, uh, a pretty significant online uh, audience and influence as well. And we've got work and projects going on all over the world um, across different continents, just trying to be involved in um, communities and, and seeing transformation happen in communities, um, economic stability, um, health and wellness, um, nutrition, all of that. And so a lot of incredible work happening here. Now I've been a part of the church for uh, 18 years. And so my wife, Jenny, and I, we were living down south, and we, we moved 800 miles away from anyone we had ever known uh, up, in, up to Pennsylvania, which, you know, we thought was just the Rust Belt. We didn't know how beautiful it was up here, uh, but we have, uh, it's been a wild ride for us. And, um, and so currently, I serve on the strategic leadership team, uh, the strategic leadership team here at the church, and, um, and I'm a teaching pastor. And so um, communicating to the church, um, just continuing to you know, part of what I do is uh, keep our staff in line. We have 250 staff, um, just over 250 staff. And so part of what I do is just keep us aligned on the mission and what we're supposed to be about and how we're supposed to keep um, and how we can continue to move forward with what we believe is kind of our mission as a church and, um, and to keep our church focused on that as well. So right. um, it's, it's an incredible, uh, just an incredible opportunity. I just, I, I love every day um, that we get mm -hmm. to do what we get to do here. So. And we're going to talk mostly about what the impact of the coronavirus has been on the mm -hmm. church, not so much spiritually, but from an organizational point yeah. of view, and you know just the mechanics of uh, of delivering what you what you do. But before we get there, just for our listeners to give them a sort of a sense of relative and comparable size before coronavirus, you remember uh, 53 years ago in March? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would you have been getting across those 15 locations in terms of weekly attendance? Yeah, so we would have been averaging anywhere between 16 and 17,000 people on a weekend in physical right. attendance. And then an additional, um, uh, at that point, probably about 1,000 to 2,000 online um, for a particular weekend. And so so just under the 20,000, uh, probably around 18,000 mark um, right. pre-COVID uh, who were engaged. And so our locations, you know, I, I mentioned a moment ago that our we have 15 locations. Our locations um, 
are kind of wide ranging in, in what they look like. So we have some locations that are uh, pretty small and might have 150 people part of them. We've got our largest location has 5,500 people um, who are typically a part of that on weekends. And so we kind of, we kind of look at it as our model is um, from a franchising perspective, we would probably say we're like a company owned store um, right. model. And, and so when you think about like a Starbucks, for instance, you've got some, that are um, airport kiosk, and then you've got others that are Barnes and Noble, and then you've got other freestanding stores. And so we've, we've in the same way, we've got some locations that are more like our kiosk and smaller right. in nature. Um, and then we've got some that are freestanding stores. And the, the bottom line is those, that they all offer the same core products and, um, and the same offerings. And so that's our hope. It doesn't have to look all the same, but we want someone who comes to any one of our locations to, to be able to have the same experience at the end of the day. Right, a, a recognizable template, if you want to call it that. Absolutely. Um, and it, this might sound like a, a really dumb question, but I, I've known you long enough to know that you, you actually do think this way. Um, running one of your locations has got to be more complicated than running a single Starbucks location, I would imagine. You know, So it's not like the equivalent of having 15 Starbucks stores. Yeah. You know, if you were to think of a business in terms of scale, size-wise, you know, what what would be a read across? What would be the level of complexity that LCBC is compared to, you know, for-profit organizations? Well, what's interesting is, you know, when you think about what industry a church is in, what industry we're in, I would say we're not in any one particular industry. I feel like we're a, a um, sort of a conglomeration of several. I, I would say there's a part of our church and organization that's the hospitality, it's a service industry. Right. We've got a whole separate part of our organization that's an event um, completely dedicated to almost an events uh, in the event space. So that's our weekends and our production right. and, and what we do. And then you've got a component of what we do, I would say that's probably in the education sector because we're producing content, um, continually mm. producing content mm. that we're having to deliver. And so from a complexity standpoint, you have all of these different um, deliverables in every one of those quote unquote industries that we're trying to deliver on. And, um, and so it is, um, so as far as a marketplace analogy, I I, I don't know. I mean, those three industries are probably the ones that come to mind um, the quickest, Um, but those are, those are the the, the sort of the cross pollination between all those is really what we're dealing with. I got it. So, you know, and, and, although it's not a read across in terms of deliverability, in terms of services, but it's closer to the complexity of having like a 15 school campus uh, network or a 15 yeah. nursing home campus network than a straight retail outlet. I get that. Yeah. Um, share with the listeners a, a little bit of your own role, Jason, and how that's maybe yeah. evolved since you made that uh, tra- track. And by the way, I, I, I totally agree. I've been uh, down to visit you as you know and it's yeah. just such a beautiful part of the world and it that really was a, a little bit of a surprise to me I'm afraid it's no insult <laughs> to, to our, our friends but uh, who, who of course live there yeah. and know it's a wonderful place but it's a beautiful part but from when you arrived to now just tell us a little bit about your leadership path yeah absolutely well when I came up here 18 years ago I was um, at that point we were obviously nothing like we are now as a church so we had one one church one site I mean having multiple locations couldn't have even been that wasn't even in our thinking. Um, and we were probably a church of about 1800 people at that point. So maybe, you know, about 1800 on a weekend and probably a staff of around 15, 15, 20 people maybe. And so I came in as the middle school, I came in to work with students. And so in particular middle school students, 
And um, I was uh, probably 23, 23 years old, maybe just turning 24 or something like that. And um, didn't know anything and felt like it felt like at that point, they just took a huge risk on me. And I was so grateful, continue, still am today. Um, and, uh, you know, as our organization has grown, um, it's always interesting to me because I always feel like if I were trying to get a job here today, there's no way I probably, I probably would. You know how sometimes when your organizations, you grow with it. Um, and that's definitely how it's happened for all of us. And we find ourselves sitting there going, man, um, we're, we've just kind of grown with this thing. And, right. um, and so as I've grown with it, th those, you know, that my influence, uh, and opportunities continue to expand. And so then I moved from just middle school to overseeing a middle school and high school, um, kind of all of our students. Um, and then when we went multi-site, so when we, when we added locations, then it was middle school and high school, not just for one location, but really for multiple locations at that point. And then, um, and then I moved into a role that was, um, what we would call it's kind of our next gen. And so that would be anywhere from fifth grade all the way to 29 years old. Right. And then we had a little bit of an uh, about face as a church. We had, at this point, we had had five, uh, five locations that we had kind of launched off of existing locations. I know. Where, where so are we five, chronologically at this point? Where, where, roughly as far as, uh, so we're right around 2012 at this point. Okay. So I had been here um, uh, right at 10 years at this point. Right. And so we had at this point grown to five locations and things were, were humming along pretty good. And we had a church outside of the Philadelphia area approach us and say, Hey, this is kind of random. And this is a flyer. We're not even, we're sure it probably wouldn't even work, but what if we actually merged with you guys and became an LCBC location? And so what we felt, so it was our first merger opportunity with another church. And this was a large church, um, uh, pretty significant, uh, what they, what they had to offer. I mean, they had 45 acres of incredible property and building and incredible, most importantly, incredible people um, mm -hmm. outside of Philadelphia and Philadelphia was a market that we wanted to be in. But if we were just going to keep growing off of each existing location, it was going to take us years to kind of bridge that right. 85 mile gap, or whatever. So, so we felt it was an incredible opportunity. And I say all that because that was really where I shifted my attention next. And so I moved out to the Philadelphia area to, to basically merge that church and bring, bring them on board as LCBC and turn, and turn the culture and turn the church um, right. there to make them LCBC, um, which anybody who's gone through merger and acquisitions knows um, there's significant challenges with that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the payoff and the reward is, is on the other side of that, but um, right. But boy, it's uh, but but you're jumping in the deep end when you do that. Right. Since then, we've we've actually had two further mergers. So we've got um, out of our 15 locations, three have been been mergers at this point. So, so it has and, it has been part of our our growth. And the key focus of your role now? Yeah. So the key focus of my role is then two years ago we um, we had what I would probably call our most significant restructure at the executive team level that we had had probably in about 10 years. And so what we were feeling at that point is we had one executive team that was providing directional oversight for the entire church, which included just the day-to-day -day operations of the church, but then also expansion opportunities and getting into new markets and mergers, everything that I was just talking about. And as we looked at it, felt like those are probably two different functions that if we can almost create two executive teams, so to speak, right. um, they work, we work together, but, but have two um, very, very high functioning teams dedicated 
um, separately to those. And so we kind of split the executive team into those two functions, um, one being expansion, the other being basically ch the church, what, what anybody who comes to LCBC would understand as the church. Um, right. And so I moved back at that point to lead um, the team that oversees that church side. Um, and so working with that, that executive team. Got it. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that's always struck me about Jason is the degree to which you are uh, really committed to developing as a leader and just the degree of intellectual curiosity, but not just for the sake of being intellectually curious in order to implement things you're uh, very uh, wide read. When did that start? Have you always been like that? Or did you feel challenged that you needed to get better as a leader? Well, I think I've always had, you know, I remember less, um, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I remember being as a kid, um, nine, 10, 11 years old, and um, we had a world book encyclopedia set. And right. I, I mean, honestly, I, for hours and hours on end would flip through those encyclopedias. And I would just learn things about cities and learn things about animals and learn things. I just loved, I've always loved learning. I've always, right. um, I've always been naturally curious. And um, I've always been, I think, extraordinarily pragmatic. And so I, okay, I'll tell you what I don't like reading. I, I struggle with reading fiction because right. I feel like I can't, what's the use? I need it to be useful. <laughs> and so those two, those two things, I think a natural sort of curiosity and then a passion to see it, you know, implemented and, and how does it help and um, how does it move things forward? Um, I think those two things combined have always just led me to, uh, uh, to, to continually want to grow and, and then apply that to, to what we're doing and to our best, our best effort and our best work. That's great. So let's come to um, the thing that, you know, it's not even an elephant in the room. It's the <laughs> elephant that's standing on our head. Um, the last, uh, what has it been? The time of recording, it's coming up to four months of this uh, COVID yeah. emergency. And then, the other things that have just happened around uh, all of that, including the Black Lives Matter movement, um, that, that has just turned things upside down. What's the biggest single change uh, for LCPC? Well, I would say what it's done less is it's, um, it's fast-tracked um, things that we had just been thinking about things that we have, hey, maybe we'll have to pivot to this at some point. Hey, maybe this would be something a year from now. We, all of that became, um, and so um, I'll give you practical examples here in a second, but all of that, um, the things that maybe we had thought about for future development or maybe opportunities suddenly became, oh, tomorrow we need to be this. Uh, we, need right. to, we need to pivot. So right. some good examples of that I think would be, um, you know, we had been exploring how to continue to be a church that meets people in an online space, how to be right. an organization that meets our, our constituents and our people um, um, through omni, you know, in omni-channel ways and so that they can interact with our church in whatever ways they deem are, are most valuable to them, whether that's on-site brick and mortar or whether that's through online experiences. So we had been, these are things we had been talking about, but suddenly we realized we don't have a lot of our core products available in some of those omni-channel formats and available through online experiences. And suddenly that what was a six month project became a two week project and we were able to get content and get able, uh, and able to get environments uh, online very, very quickly. Um, so I would say that that's probably been one of the biggest shifts for us. I'm not sure it was, um, it was the speed of pivoting 
we mm. sensed that we needed to pivot all along, but boy, it just fast-tracked, it fast-tracked everything. Right. And I would say, Les, the, the gift in all of this has been, um, we had our, um, I had asked our, uh, our team to read uh, Cy Wakeman's book, No Ego, mm. back in January. And one of the things that she, that she talks about in the book is there's a difference between, she, she kind of says that change management's a little bit overrated and um, because it takes egos into account. So it's kind of like, how right. do we help someone get over these things as opposed to just creating a change ready organization, which is right. there's always going to be change. And so, so my point is simply this, um, I would have said we were a change ready organization before this, but mm. this has absolutely forced our hand because you just don't, you literally don't know what's coming two weeks from now. And right. so you cannot, everything we do is planning in pencil so that you can right. erase it pretty quickly. Right. And so that has been a gift. Um, and right now what we're talking about as an executive team is just how do we, are there blank slates in front of us um, that we need to leverage as we begin to come back, as we begin to, are, right. are there basically things that we were doing that were normal before that we shouldn't go back to? Um, because what was normal then was crazy. We have an opportunity in front of us to change things and let's not, let's not wait on that. Right. Uh, I love that reference to, um, uh, Cy Wakeman's book. I remember you recommending it at one of our, um, mastermind, uh, Mm. getaways. And it, it, it feels to me very much like what she's essentially, uh, fleshing out in great uh, detail uh, is what we know as the enterprise commitment that Mm -hmm. if you've got people who are genuinely expressing the enterprise commitment that overrides the personal fear uh, and ego and uh coping with the result of change management and get rid of it completely but it helps a lot and and uh, and and let me just say less with that i mean so so i and and i don't think we should pretend that and in a, you know, whether you're in the C-suite or whether you're in a management position, whatever, that those don't affect us either. I mean, we ought to be setting the, sure. we hopefully are setting the pace for an enterprise commitment. Um, but part of what this season has done for, for me, I mean, it's challenged. I mean, I don't like the way we're having to work in some way. I've, I've had to right. communicate differently. I've had to, the, the whole way that I'm, you know, that we're, we're, we're communicating now is different than probably what I would prefer. And so if we're not, I mean, I feel like one of the challenges for us has been if we're not willing to embrace this, it's certainly not going to make its way down to um, the rest of the staff who are on the front lines of, you know, um, doing some of the right. work that we're doing right now. Right. Um, it, one of the things I'd, I'd love to uh, hear your view on uh, that I've been talking about a lot recently is that um, part of what I think we're finding difficult as leaders is a concept that I'm calling leading from 5,000 feet that, um, you know, we're used to being at 30,000 feet. That's, that's our natural environment, long horizon, long overview, you know, planning ahead, um, you know, making you know, planning the chess moves. And then when this all hit in March, we had to get down to runway level. And we can, where most of us, many of us as leaders, good at that too. We can get down when we have to and triage and do the dirty fingernail work. But this point that we're at right now, where we've got as leaders some elevation, but it's only some. We're 5,000 yeah. feet. We can't see next year. You know, we, yeah. But we can for the first time maybe see a quarter, two quarters. Is yeah. that resonating? Is that sort of where you're feeling yourself uh, at the minute? Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I feel a little bit airsick because I feel like we're constantly just bobbing and weaving from 5,000 yes. to 20, yeah. you know, through yes. 30,000 to five to 30 to yes. five, depending on the day and depending on the, the, the situation. Right. And, you know, I, I feel like part of um, part of the misnomer about management is that we think that all management is micromanagement and mm-hmm. we can tend to think that sometimes. 
And what management really is, is aligning the organization. Like, and so, so that's the 5,000 foot level that I feel like we need to provide. That's probably most valuable to the organization is to make sure that the tactical decisions that are being made are aligned. As long as they're aligned and heading in the right direction, we do need to be involved. And we have had to insert ourselves, I would say more frequently in the last uh, several months than maybe we have had to in the past. Right. Uh, because and, and the fact that we don't have some of our natural communication lines available to us anymore because we're not meeting and we haven't been in the offices, we haven't been. Now we replaced those with other mechanisms, but it still disrupted our natural communication line. So you, you kind of put that all together, and it's a recipe for potential misalignment. And so yes. um, I think the way that we have tried to, and I think the the thing we have to do is continue to try to make up for the communication disruption by inserting ourselves a little bit more and probably giving a little bit more directive and and clarity around directives than we than we maybe have in the past we'll be right back with jason in just a moment when we're going to talk about how to think strategically in a virtual environment how his organization has pivoted and innovated in response to this current covid crisis and we'll talk about what he sees for the future of his church Now, if like Jason and me, you're an MSC, that's the most senior executive, whether you're the founder or CEO or managing director or lead pastor or madam secretary, whatever the title of the most senior person in your organization, if that's you, then you know one thing for sure. It can be really, really lonely up there. Sure, being the most senior executive is a great privilege and it brings great responsibility, but it brings great challenges too. And sometimes we just don't have the right forum to go and share those challenges in a way that we feel comfortable and supported, challenged and held accountable. I'm sure you've got a great team in your organization, a fantastic senior leadership team who support you. But there are times when you're just not ready to share with your senior team just yet. There are other times when you want to talk with people who have got a different perspective than from the inside of your organization. Sometimes you just don't want to distract your senior leadership team because of some of the other things that you've got going on. And you've almost certainly built a great support group of friends and family. But let's be honest, I know this and you do too. There are many times when you're grappling with a particular challenge, a growth challenge either around your own leadership or the growth of your organization, and you just don't want to burden your friends or your family. And many times, even if you did, they often can't really help you. And that means they're left feeling frustrated and you're left feeling unfulfilled. And it's because of that challenge, the challenge of it being lonely at the top, and yet I've got big challenges of my own to meet, that I started the Predictable Success Mastermind Group. Jason Mitchell, our guest interviewee today, is a member of the Predictable Success Mastermind Group, along with a group of like-minded growth leaders, just like you. And perhaps the Predictable Success Mastermind Group might be exactly the place to go for the support, accountability, and encouragement you need in these incredibly difficult times. So why not go take a look, make your own mind up, head over to predictablesuccess.com forward slash mastermind and check it out. And now back to our guest today, Jason Mitchell. One of the things that I think I'm seeing uh, quite a bit is that uh, in this shift, just to be bluntly tactical about it, where we're all of us spending forever on this thing that you and I are on, Zoom, just so the listeners are aware, um, Jason and I have got line of sight of each other just so that we can, we can converse naturally. But 
one of the things that's happening as a result of that is I believe I'm seeing that um, what we call vertical alignment, vertical management teams in their silos, that's working out well. You know, we made that change and uh, Jean can get on to Zoom with her team and can get the punch list done and work things out and work things through. Um, but what's harder is lateral management at a senior level uh, mm. because quite a bit of that is serendipitous. Quite a mm. bit of that is being able to walk in and out, so to speak, whether it's virtually or physically. And just getting that, you know, where you would stand up and walk down to somebody else's office and say, hey, you got 20 minutes to knock something around. That doesn't feel like it's, you know, it's just as natural or as easy. How, how are you and your, your T1 team, you know, compensating yeah. for that? Yeah, I, I think you're dead on, Les, and I think we have found that to be very true. Um, the, I, I, think, I actually think we've been more efficient at the tactical levels right. um, over these last several weeks because it's, um, uh, it's just been very boom, 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 you know, get it done, and here's the right. directives, and we can move forward. I, um, we have what, what you lose is nuance, and what you mm-hmm. lose is the healthy debate at times. And, um, and so how have we made up for that? I mean, honestly, there have been, there have been some moments where we just have said, this is a decision we just, or this is a conversation we just all need to meet and we're going to have to figure out the social distancing thing, but we got to be face to face for this. And I think what we found, and this is probably just restating what you said is that the strategic decisions just weren't working for us on Mm -hmm. zoom. Um, And we needed to find ways to be face to face, even if we were sitting outside to just have the space um, to be right. able to nuance the conversation. Right. Um, so I very much agree. And we, we have, we have very much uh, faced that as well. Uh, you know, this is a really dumb, dumb. Uh, I, I like to say brilliance is built on the mundane. Well, I'm about to test <laughs> that very strongly, but you know, one of the things I've been playing with is uh, I can switch the frame of my, uh, what I'm looking at here uh, from dark to light, you know, it's a dark black frame or a a gray frame. I'd love to be able to pull in some different colors, but um, what I'm doing is I'm switching the the background frame color as to whether it's a tactical meeting or a strategic meeting, just to give me visible reminder, this is a strategic meeting, don't get tactical, because it feels to me like the virtual tools, the way we are using them at the moment, have a gravitational pull to tactical. And, you know, don't ask be. me why that exactly is, but there's a whole bunch of, I'm sure, heuristic and other reasons why it just pulls us towards the tactical. And, and I love your idea of if you can fix it from a social distancing point of view, and that's, of course, getting a little easier now, you know, yeah. sometimes you just got to get together. I think that's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Now, uh, you were on a very specific, conscious, thought through path to predictable success. Um, right before this thing hit. I mean, you, you were yeah. working the model, you were making substantial yeah. progress. Where do you feel you got just, you know, late February, early March before this really took effect? And, and what's been the impact on where you're at in the life cycle? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, so we as an organization over the last 18 months have been really, really working hard to identify where there's complexity within the organization and to tame that complexity and to put the right processes in place um, in order to help us get to predictable success. That has been a value. It's been a, um, 
uh, calling it almost feels like for us. I mean, it's been, it's uh, everybody on our staff can tell you about whitewater and, um, and what that means. So, so it's interesting Les, because I, we, we definitely had um, and have had a lot of momentum going into the spring. In fact, I would say probably two or three, maybe three or four weeks um, before we shut down from a COVID standpoint, we had had our, uh, an all staff meeting. And so four times, uh, four times a year, we bring all of our staff, everybody, all two, 250 janitor. I mean, like from janitors to past, I mean, everybody. Right. And we had just had them in and had actually kind of said, here's kind of where we're starting to land. Here's the model as we've worked through all of these projects to identify where there's whitewater and where there's complexity. And, and it was just making sense. Then COVID hit. And obviously that's not the most, at that point, that's not the most pressing thing in mind. There's a lot more thing, uh, uh, more pressing triage, things to triage right. uh, issues to issues to answer. I think, you know, some of the implications probably would be that um, we probably have, we probably fell back to a degree towards um, some of our whitewater or fun uh, communication lines and, you know, in, in right. sort of your, your stages um, that you've talked about. And we probably went back to what's most natural. And as far as efficiency, when I say most natural, what's going to deliver the most efficiency. And I actually think there was, there's a season for that, honestly. I mean, we were trying to manage a disruption, unlike, you know, none of us have had experience leading through a pandemic, um, right. at least here in our organization. <laughs> so, um, and, and nowhere. And, and so there's, I think that there's something, I think we needed to, in some ways, bypass a few systems, bypass a few processes, um, in just in order to get speed of, speed of, um, you know, speed to market with decisions. Right. So, uh, so that was, that was a time for that. I think what we're coming to now, though, less is now we're actually just even these last 10 days, two weeks, we're having much more concrete conversations now about, okay, it's time. We cannot let that be a pattern now. Right. And Absolutely. it's time now to go back. And um, even this coming, uh, you know, at the time that we're, we're uh, doing this right now, even this coming week, I've got plans to review, basically bring back all that work back out for our mm. uh, executive team to review again and to go, okay, it's um, let's not forget where we've been. It's time now to begin to, to put our heels in, dig our heels in right. um, and to move forward. So, right. So I would say it definitely we felt that back and forth, that tension of staying true to the work that we've done and yet responding in the moment to just saying, hey, we've, we've got to make some quick decisions and that's okay. Giving ourselves the grace in some ways to, Absolutely. Uh, to manage this. And, you know, I've been saying to people, don't, you know, not only don't feel guilty about it, feel good about it because it's the right thing to do. You know, I've been telling people quite a lot. If you, if you were on the left growth side of the life cycle before this headwind hit, you're going to be pushed backwards. And the best yeah. thing, you know, to, to where you were before, and the best thing to do is roll with it, be like bamboo, you know, move with the wind. Yeah. And then and, and do the triage work, uh, you know, go back for a while to the, yeah. you know, ready, fire, ready, fire mode. But yeah. what's really important is that is the, uh, as you get to that 5,000 feet level, as we begin to get some elevation, you know, push back forward again. Don't, don't revert back permanently to those yeah. uh, decision-making uh, and execution modes because it will stunt your growth. So as you begin to get a bit of a, of a, you know, we're not talking long-term yet by any stretch of the imagination, but we don't have our nose pressed to just next week anymore. And we're starting to think, you know, medium term, the impact of all of this. Um, one of the distinctions I've been making is between pivoting, which was important to do on its own right, but which doesn't produce a long-term solution. All it does is 
give you short-term relief. Some of the pivots will become part of the long-term innovation that will you know, shape us permanently. And I like to use that analogy or the, the, the quote by Bobby Orr, the ice hockey player, who's just a genius and you know, most credited ice hockey player ever, I believe. And he was asked about the secrets of his success. And he said, well, I, I just, I skate to where the puck is going to be. <laughs> Right. Yes, and that's yeah, what we as leaders are trying to do. We're trying to yeah. get our organization to where it needs to be. What are the long preamble to a question? What are the the pivots and changes and maybe even some stuff you haven't done yet that you think are going to solidify as permanent innovative changes for yeah. LCBC moving forward? Yeah. So um, one of the ways that we've been talking about it and starting to feel good. Um, and, and so this will sound probably just like some, it'll sound just like it's semantics. It's not though. And it's a bit of a hyperbolic statement, but it's meant to kind of shift our thinking. And so what we've been saying is we used to be um, a church of 15 locations that just happened to have online offerings. Now right. we're an online church that just happens to have 15 locations. Right. And right. Again, it might sound like semantics, but it's actually an incredibly, um, it's a completely different posture when you begin to think about the things that we do. We have to create ways for people to engage those in whatever way they deem is most valuable to them. And so in the past, it would be, it was just kind of um, by the product offerings that we made or, or maybe even by the things that we promoted, all, all of that prior promotions and marketing, it was obvious that the brick and mortar was the, the end all. Right. And now we're saying, hey, the end all is you engaging with our church. Right. And we're going to provide multiple platforms and multiple ways for you to be able to do that. And so I would say that that's a, um, you know, that's a long term, that, that's the future for us. And right. um, so then when you begin to play that out practically, that means that all of our ministry environments or all the offerings, the product offerings we have, they all have to have um, a SKU that's available online. They all have right. to be deliverable in, in those ways. Um, and so um, that's a pretty significant shift. I would say the other shift that we're making is, is how we communicate. And um, so even just down to very practical, I told you a moment ago that we're kind of in the event business as well. And our primary right. thing is, is weekends. And in the past, um, for delivering an online experience, we basically just taped what was going on in the room or just broadcast, I should say, what right. was going on in the room. Right. That is very much shifted. And so now we're talking very, very specifically to an online audience that shapes, reshapes the way that we do it. That right. shapes the way that we're, who we're, where we're looking. I mean, it comes down to small little tactical things like that. It shapes um, the things that we're promoting. Um, right. And so uh, that's a pretty significant shift that we don't see changing. In fact, to be, you know, a very, very real example, uh, a very practical example of that is um, we're actually now, we're going to continue to film one of our gatherings as a strictly online gathering. And so that means that we'll be talking right to the camera. That means the way our musicians do some things and all that. I mean, mm -hmm. like it's just, it's different mm -hmm. than if people are in the room and we're actually now going to uh, open that up to a studio audience. And so if right. uh, someone wants to make that their church experience, great, right. they can do that. But we're, but just know we're not going to be looking at you. We're going to be looking at the camera. And so we're just playing, we're experimenting. The one thing we know we're not going to go back to though is just filming what was happening in the room and just hope that it makes sense for an online audience. We're going to film for an online audience right. um, and deliver and deliver that.
And when you think about it, of course, it makes so much sense. And if, if in fact, there'd be no COVID and we all sat down and tried to think through the impact of online, we would have gotten there anyway. It would have just taken Absolutely. a lot longer. Uh, I know you've always been uh, hot on metrics. Uh, are you having to come up with some new metrics to, you know, gauge engagement and yeah. uh, uh, from from your congregation, and your members? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, we've we've and we still haven't landed the plane on this one, but we've really, um, especially early on through the COVID season, just said, how do we tell that our people are still in, engaged with our church? How do we know people are still? How, how do we measure this? And so we've, we've, we've actually had three different models that, that are formulas that are running. And so we've been evaluating each of the three side by side to kind of just tell which one really does tell the most um, accurate story on this. Right. And, um, or what we feel is the most uh, valuable, I guess, story. And when I say valuable, I don't mean um, it paints a, a narrative that we just want people to know. It's more valuable for our end to be able to follow up on and to deliver on the things that we say as a church we want to deliver on. Right. So, um, so yeah, it's changed. It's changed the way that we're we're trying to um, to measure. Uh, you know, is it just views or is it thirty minute views? Part of our approach has been we're, we we want to actually take probably. Um, so our philosophy is the most absolute, most conservative approach to viewership that we can possibly take because then we kind of know with integrity we can say those numbers. And if anything, it's more than that as opposed to inflating. And if anything, it's a lot lower than that. And so right. uh, there's a lot of different approaches, a lot of different ways people can go about it. But the other thing, Les, is, is we, we are shifting, uh, at least for churches, um, I don't know how it is, you know, I mean, every organization has their kind of their, their metrics that rise to the top. For churches, um, it tends to be attendance, as in butts in seat, right? Mm -hmm. Like that tends to be the right. thing at the end of the day, just how many people were there. and that is a good metric and it tells you something, but in the new world um, where people can engage with your brand, engage with your church in whatever way they deem most valuable, that cannot be the only way of telling anymore that someone's engaged. Tar right. Target could care less whether someone buys their product in the store or online. At the end of the day, right. it's a sell. A sell is a sell is a sell. So for us, we're sitting there going, what's engagement look like no matter how they do it? And so we've kind of said, look, we want people engaged in our weekend gathering which can happen in brick and mortar or online doesn't matter how they choose to do it. That's engagement. Right. We want people engaged in a, in a connection to a relationship connection to someone in our church. Again, that can be through a digital or online group or in-person group. At the end of the day, we're okay with either one. We want people serving. Right. We can measure that in different ways. We want people um, investing in their community, in their communities. And we want people living generous lives. And so right. all of those we have now said, Hey, we, we want specific metrics to be able to determine. And then let's say someone who's doing all five of those or someone who's doing two of those five or someone who's doing one of those five, what does that say? And how do we help someone move from one to two of those five, from two to right. three of those five. And so that's where really where, where our, where our headspace is right now in, in thinking about how to move engagement, not just attendance. That's a really important distinction for us. Absolutely. How do we drive engagement, not attendance? Uh, yeah, one of, I, the two great things just came out of what you said. One of them is that point that you just made. And I, I see a lot of churches um, are going to have to work really hard not to fall into uh, an error that those of us who were in internet marketing 
way back fell into a long time ago, which was, you know, got to build my list, got to build my, my list. I've got 100,000 people on my mailing list, got a million people on my mailing list. I've got a great list. Uh, all that means it's just numbers, right? So I, I had send and, you know, <laughs> a, a, this weekend, 40,000 people will hear that this uh, podcast is available. That is no relevance to the actual engagement at the other end, the number of people who uh, a, even see it, because it goes into their spam folder, see it and care, see it and open it, open it and act on it, yep. open, listen to the podcast and learn something from it. It's a long way from that big yep. metric of, you know, 40,000 yep. people on my mailing list to, to really b making a change. And, you know, I came across the concept many years ago of uh, a thousand raving fans. And I'd rather have a thousand raving fans than a mailing list of a hundred thousand. You know, I yeah. mean, there's a guy I follow his stuff. He released a course yesterday on a topic. It was 197 bucks. I didn't even read his sales page. I, <laughs> I just, I just hit the button, bought it because I know everything that he does is world class. And you know, I yeah. want a thousand raving fans like that. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that you just mentioned on the way through, which I think is is uh, very appropriate to every organization, any shape or size at the moment, for profit or not for profit. You talked about, if I heard you right, that you're testing out at the same time three different ways of measuring stuff. And yes, this is yes. the time for sequential testing. This is not the time for testing. It's time for testing in parallel, not testing in series. You know, mm. don't try this and then suck up the results and analyze it, then try the next thing and then do all of that, then try the next thing. This is not quite throwing spaghetti against the wall, but um, one way I'm phrasing it is scrappy is the current normal. Mm -hmm. Get out there and test it with the minimal um, action steps between you and actually getting it out there and live and test a lot of stuff. Have seven things, nine things going and find two to three that are really going to make a difference. But the old method of, you know, research, analyze, it isn't going to work because all, all available data is irrelevant right now. Right? Yeah. There's no current data to help you. There's no sorry historic data to help you. There's only current data. That's all that will help you. Yeah. So it's great to hear that you're doing those sequential testings. Yeah. Um, final aspect on on all of this, Jason. What's still you know just really got you gripped that you have you know LCBC you haven't got it yet. You still really need to respond in some way to something that's happened over the past period of time. Where would, where would you still be gathering your resources and taking another charge? Oh, man. Well, I mean, are, are you talking cult, like kind of cultural moments or are you talking about just everything that's happened or are you talking about organizationally at this point? Just whatever comes to mind. Whenever, you know, whenever, where at the moment do you still get a little bit of a heart sink and think we really got to up our game there? Yeah. Well, you know, these are these are incredibly challenging times culturally for us. Um, people are people are, uh, are living with a lot of anxiety. The people that are living with a lot of frustration, fear, and um, and so if COVID wasn't enough, um, obviously then you throw on um, some of the the stuff that's uh, some of the racial stuff that's been again, um, in our nation's history, brought back to the surface in new and fresh ways, that old wound. And the church, you know, for us in our particular context, that's exactly the kinds of things we want to be able to add value into people's right. lives about, to answer right. questions. And, you know, Les, I mean, it's, it's, as far as us 
not getting it or maybe the challenge right now, it, it's actually more just the tone of the culture, which is, um, which is so divided. And the cancel culture stuff is the, the, the bad part about cancel culture <laughs> is that there's no room anymore. There's no mm. room to be wrong on anything. There's no room mm. for conversation. There's no room to just, I, fl I flubbed it. I just said the wrong thing by accident. Right. And without, without, um, without it being, um, you know, um, uh, pretty it, it blown up into an incredibly significant issue. The church and, and what we're trying to do right now, we've got to be, we've, we've got to model what it means to speak with grace and with truth. And um, I think both of those things together are a powerful force in our culture. The, you know, for anyone listening right now, the people in your life that have probably most influenced you in a positive direction, I promise you, if you think about them long enough, at some point they have had a conversation that was full of grace and they probably had a conversation that was full of truth at some point too. And that's why they influenced you. And that's why you probably love them. And right now we are positioned as a church. We have to position ourselves to be able to speak with grace and truth in a world that is increasingly what feels like more hostile. And so I know that's not organizational less. And I'm no, sorry. It's, that's, that's, right on, that's right on the button. Man. It really is. But Thank you so much. For that's sharing. where our hearts and heads are right now. Right. Yeah. Well, God bless you for doing it. And it's yeah. been a pleasure watching you uh, develop and, and uh, cope with all of the complexities of uh, what really is a, I know you believe it to be a privilege of a role and it truly is. And it's yeah. been a privilege to watch you do it. I'm pretty sure that uh, sometime, uh, hopefully about this time next year, um, we'll be doing a series on okay you know what <laughs> where are we now yeah. the tide's gone yeah. out come back in again now what so i hope you'll come back and tell us how things have been going with yeah. lcbc but in the meantime thank you for your Absolutely. time today jason thank you les very grateful for you and the work that you're doing